Hi, I'm Paul, the Ripples Guy. Welcome to the Ripples Podcast, where we share quick splashes of inspiration and explore how even our smallest actions can have an ongoing impact on our lives, the people we connect with, and the whole world. Are you in? I hope you enjoy this episode, and I hope you enjoy today. Hello to my Patreon peeps. Hello to all of our guests. We have, I've invited people from the Ripples newsletter. I've invited people from LinkedIn. Who knew? I've been on LinkedIn so much because a couple, about a month ago, I had an emergency gig. I had to race back to my home, my state of Wisconsin, where I lived for 20 years to deliver the closing keynote address. Uh, for the Wisconsin SHRM conference, the Society for Human Resource Management. They lost their keynote at the last minute. And luckily, I was able to smooth things around. And those HR people, they love them some LinkedIn. That's their Twitter. And so I had to re-download the LinkedIn app, and I've been on there. So some of you are joining us from LinkedIn. Some of you are from Facebook and from Ripples. And if you don't know, we're going to do a 30-minute presentation some of my Patreon peeps are going to stick around a little bit afterwards for a, a little meeting that we have. Um, we are recording this, and uh, I will be happy to get you the link afterwards if you would like. And because we also use this audio recording um, and put it on the podcast, the Ripples podcast that we uh, broadcast out, I've been trying to get away from using a lot of visuals in the presentation. And I was just hanging out with the um, SUNY Empire for their non-traditional student week. And they were using Microsoft Teams. Boo, Microsoft Teams. And I find it really hard to manage the, I know, I can't believe I just said that. Look, Zoom, <laughs> Zoom will probably now give me a bonus or something. Um, but I really don't like that tech platform. And so I used, um, I, I didn't use slides at all. And it's, it makes it easier for me to be myself. I will be putting links in the chat window. Oh, do me this favor really quick. Uh, can you, if you're watching this live, of course, if you're not, you can't do this. If you're watching live, could you head over to the chat and just put your name and where you are joining us from? Because I sometimes forget to peek. Oh, look, it says 35 participants about how many people are logged in and who's all here. So if you don't mind saying hi in the chat window, just Say your name or it actually will say your name if you just put your location. That would be so swell. You're allowed to leave whenever you want. If you if you want to say goodbye in the chat, great. I'm going to recenter myself and let you know that we typically have three things we cover here. If you're familiar with the Ripples newsletter, you'll recognize Pebble Boulder Ponder. Pebble is just a really quick... Um, resource that I have found helpful personally or professionally. And I would like to tell you about a, where is it here? A TED talk that I watched a couple days ago. My therapist mentioned it to me. It's called How to Do Laundry When You're Depressed. And I will tell you very briefly as I put the link in the chat window, if you're watching or listening this later, all of the links will be in the description of the video or podcast, wherever you found this, look in the links description. And this in 
incredible TED Talk was written by or uh, performed by Casey Davis. And she had written a book, How to Keep House While Drowning. She is a therapist who also had a really serious bout of postpartum depression. And one of the ways she made, of her, made her way out of it was to rethink of chores as care acts. And she describes them as morally neutral. She said, despite what we've learned from Martha Stewart, chores and, and household tasks are not morally good or bad. They are morally neutral. And getting away from thinking of them, if I do them, they're good. If I don't do them, I'm bad. And more saying, what do I need to take care of me in a way that will allow me to function in, in, a, in a way that I can bring my best available self to the world? It's fantastic. The boulder is uh, an activity that I have found useful either personally or professionally. And this is quick and random, but let me tell you that every day at two o'clock, uh, my alarm goes off. I have a little reminder set. I was, for the first week, I was doing it every single hour of every day. And what it said, it has a list of things. It says headache, migraine, heartburn, itchy, back pain, lethargy, depression, sty, hemorrhoids. Yes, I said hemorrhoids. Frozen shoulder, nerve pain, skateboarder, basketball players, uh, making noise across the fence, construction noise. These are all things that annoy, frustrate, bring me pain at some point in my life. Some of them come up every once in a while. Some of them are firmly in my past, but they're all things that I remember suffering through. And one of the things you've heard, many of you have heard me talk about is how amazing the day after a migraine is because, and, and for those of you who have dealt with any kind of really serious pain, know the day after the pain is gone is the most amazing. And the problem is that feeling of not migraine day, it doesn't last on the second day or the third day of no migraine day. It really fades into the background. And I just had this idea. I heard myself complaining one day. I wish there was a way to be better at remembering all the things that are not bothering me right now. And the problem is it's hard to remember them. So I made a reminder. And for, for a couple of days, I think it was two days, it was actually every day or every hour I had the, the little thing and it popped up on my watch. And I'm, I'm telling you, it was worth it. I got old after a while and I was like, okay, I don't need an hourly. <laughs> but I will tell you that every day at two o'clock when it comes up, I stop what I'm doing. I open the list and I read headache. Nope. Migraine? Nope. Heartburn? No. Itchy? No itches? No. Back pain? Not at all. Lethargy? No. Go through the whole list. And, and here's the thing. Even when one or two of them might actually be true, it's still so interesting to notice that in the larger context, it's only one of these 15 things. And it sort of downgrades it from a, oh, this is so horrible to, huh, at least I don't have this and that. So that is my bolder suggestion for you. Our ponder are, is the meat of our content today. And the title, Think Better, Feel Better, and Do Better, comes from a title of a presentation that I developed a few years ago for um, a workplace actually in Madison, Wisconsin, where I used to live. Their corporate wellness program had asked me to develop a program for their mental health awareness month. And we ended up coming up with 
think better, feel better, and do better. And you probably remember that the, the this is the little image that I threw together um, for the photo I snapped to promote this program. And what I basically did is I took this idea from um, mental health models. When we talk about helping people, one of the things that we know is true is our thoughts affect our feelings and affect our behavior. And different forms of mental health intervention and therapy try to, to break a, a downward spiral and back up to an upward cycle, sometimes by taking a look, well, the most common one, a lot of people, when they think of, of counseling is feeling. How are you feeling right now? Let's talk about how long have you been feeling that way? What could we do to get you feeling better? With the thought that if we get you feeling better, you're gonna think better and do better. Other times, other problems and other forms of therapy say, let's take a look at your thoughts. Let's look at the cognitive end of this. And if you've heard of cognitive therapy, that's starting with the head, knowing that it's gonna affect the feels and our behavior. And then finally, there's behavioral interventions, behavioral therapy. A common one you've heard is probably CBT, where it really focuses on cognitive and behavioral pieces. What I wanted to do is not just look at that as a cycle that we can look at when we're spiraling down and we wanna cycle up, but even if we're trying to build more well-being into our lives, to ask ourselves which, way, which one of these, if we did a little entry point, might help lift us up a little that would make it easier to raise up the others. And of course, the right answer of which of these three would be best to start with is, it depends. It depends on where we're at at a certain point in the day in our lives. It depends on what the problem is. So what I did for that program a few years ago was dusted off some things about cognitive um, sh shifts in our the way we're thinking. And if you've heard the phrase um, cognitive distortions, that came to me first when I was a senior in college and um, a counselor plopped the book, The New Mood Therapy by David Burns in, um, onto the chair when I came in for my second session. And he said, my gut tells me that cognitive approach might be really helpful for you. And this book, which I recommend, there's been many revisions since I was in college in 1947. I, no, I'm just kidding, 1989. Um, and it feels like that when um, I was on a, never mind, tangent. Don't do it, Wesselman. <laughs> Don't take the tangent. Um, <laughs> new mood therapy, cognitive distortions. Uh, the book, I think the book is great and I recommend it, but honestly, if you Google the phrase cognitive distortions and go find the Wikipedia page, the book is really, what it does is it unpacks this list of cognitive distortions. And I'm gonna give you a couple as an example. Um, mental filtering. You may remember I have this colander on my desk from, from a pep talk I did a while ago. This is a perfect example of mental filtering. When a compliment comes your way or when something good happens, we don't always store it. It falls through the holes, it falls through the cracks and it goes on its Mary's way. But when somebody complains, somebody says something bad to us or something bad happens, it stays captured. And so what happens is our cup fills up with yucky stuff, the good stuff we've let out. And then we say, look at all this poop in my life. Look at all this crap. And we're not wrong that there's a lot of poop in there. But the problem is we haven't stored the good stuff and that's called mental filtering. 
I can tell you on a typical presentation back in the day when Connie would bring me in to hang out with her students, we do little paper evals and I'd have maybe 20 or 30 or maybe 50, 80 people in a group. We do a little paper eval and I'd zip through them and they were mostly, oh my gosh, this was so good. This is helpful. Five, five, five. I could quote the two or three that said, well, I didn't like that he did this, or this was kind of basic, or I wish he would have done this differently. And I would hold on to those negative ones and it wouldn't mind, it wouldn't matter that I had this you know, huge pile of, of good ones. And um, I was telling the group last night, one of the ways I've helped balance that is when I get a compliment um, via email at a presentation, um, sometimes even a, a text that comes in from the Daily Splashers, and it really moves me. I try to remember to copy and paste it and put it over in this document that's called kudos and compliments um, that I keep in my Evernote file. And I would say, I would when I look back at the dates last night, I would say there's about one a month, maybe one every two or three months sometimes. <clears throat> and when I'm feeling poopy, when I've let myself down, when I when a presentation doesn't go as fabulously as I did in my mind when I was rehearsing it, I will sometimes just go there real quick and it helps me, it helps me plug a few holes. Um, all or nothing thinking. This idea that if I have a good day, that is proof that the world is great and everything is good. If I hear something cool on the news, the world is a good place. If I hear, if and when I hear something bad, nope, that proves it's bad. I see so much all or nothing thinking um, you're either with me or against me kind of statements on social media that I think contributes to the polarization. You either like chicken nuggets or you support my rights as a gay person. I, that's a good example of one that as a gay dude, I personally cringe each time I see because I, I personally understand why people want to do boycotts and they think it's important and they want to put their dollars to, to organizations that that support them and they don't necessarily want to support organizations um, that don't support them as human beings. And it, it oversimplifies the complexity around a lot of these issues. And I don't think it's true if when, when you post something that says, you either go get your chicken nuggets or you support me as a human being, I don't think that's accurate and I don't think it's useful. And I think it's an example of all or nothing thinking that seems logical. It sounds good. Other people agree with us. I think it's, it comes out of a cognitive distortion. The third one I'll mention briefly is called um, personalization. And one of my clients called Recovery International that has this really great self-help model for mental health. And they have these groups. They, they're kind of like AA groups, but instead of it being around recovery from addiction, it's about mental health and well-being. And one of their little sayings that I just so love is sometimes people do things that annoy us, not to annoy us. And mm. it's so often the case that when we experience an affront, somebody cuts us off in traffic, it feels like they did that to, uh, to us and how dare us, how dare them. And I'm gonna get them back um, or I'm gonna feel victimized. And it's not saying that we weren't put in danger or that we weren't annoyed to say that person may have just not seen me. They may have been doing that to everyone. They may be on a thing that isn't about us at all. And it doesn't mean we can't get annoyed. It doesn't mean we can't be afraid for our safety. 
but it does mean we might be adding an, an extra layer um, that that is not accurate and not useful. Because if some if you feel someone shove you and you're 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 in a crowded place, all of a sudden someone shoves you, and you turn around and somebody look on their face is like this, versus somebody you turn around and somebody's like. It turns out you'll ex- the same push, you'll turn around and experience differently if you decide, oh, they didn't mean to do that, or they thought I was somebody else, or they misunderstood what I was doing when I was standing there. And it changes our meaning. Well, plenty of times we experience hurts, we experience frustrations, and we complicate it by personalizing it in ways that's not useful and not accurate. Um, there are... There are other things that I, theoretically, if we had two hours, would dive into about thinking differently. But I'll tell you the model that I picked up all the way yesterday morning when I read an article that had the phrase mental meteorology in the title. And let me really quickly um, put a couple more links in here. Um, so that I'm doing it as I'm talking about them in case you're a little antsy and you want to go read. Mental Meteorology. It's a, it's a useful article, but honestly, the big takeaway from me is just to think of assessing these, th- this whole system as a weather system and saying to yourself, before you react, before when something happens, when you decide what your day is going to be like, to start with some mental meteorology and say, What's the weather like here today? What's going on with Paul? What are my thoughts and feels and actions? And what do I want them to be? What's the forecast? And is there anything I can do to influence it? And what I think that does is allows you to take a step back and say, oh, I am not my thoughts. I'm the person thinking them. I am not my feels. That's where we're headed next. I am the person feeling them. And very often in the English language, we tend to to, to describe our feelings, I am angry. And I think sometimes we, we turn that into I am anger. And it turns out I am not anger. I am a person who is feeling angry. And by, I think it's more useful and more accurate to say I am feeling angry. And when you say that, you're not just somebody who has anger inside of them, you are a person who is aware that you have anger inside of them. And that changes you. And as soon as you are aware that you're a person who has anger inside of them, you're a person who is aware that you are aware. And that again, creates a little more space between your feel and what you want to do with your feel. And the The quote that I picked up from a podcast a few weeks ago, Glennon Doyle, if you know that name, um, How to Do Hard podcast. She was interviewing this woman, Dr. Becky Kennedy, about, it was about parenting stuff, actually. She ended up talking about, oh, a whole bunch of things. Don't take a tangent, Wesselman. Don't do it. The The sentence that came out of, I believe it was Glennon's mouth, she said, we can't learn to regulate feelings that we don't allow ourselves to have. Let me say that again while I copy it and paste it. We can't learn to regulate feelings that you don't allow yourself to have. Oh, so good. 
And there were a couple models that I will very briefly present to you that I think are useful. One is called Tara, Brock, Tara Brock's RAIN, at the acronym RAIN of self-compassion, R-A-I-N. And her little approach to dealing with feels, recognize, allow, uh, investigate, and nurture. You may remember I talked, I unpacked this in Ripples a little while ago. Recognize, allow, investigate, and nurture. And I'll take just a second to put another link in our chat window. And um, again, if you're listening or watching this later, all of these should be in the description. And the idea is when you have a feel, if you can pause for just a moment and name it, what am I feeling? There's a term called effective labeling. And it turns out that when we are able to pause and identify what we're feeling and write it down, one of two powerful things happens. When we're able to identify a feeling that we would like to have more of, like I am feeling happy right now, our, our system's natural response when we're able to label the affect, when we, when we say I am feeling happiness, is we savor it, we enjoy the fact that we are happy, and then we produce more of it. It expands, it, it raises up its intensity just by labeling it. And here's what's really interesting. When you're able to label an emotion that you don't want to have more of, that you wish you had less of, you have two responses that are almost the exact opposite. You actually feel less of it shortly after you label it, and you have a sense that you're able to manage it. You have a better sense of having a handle on it just by labeling it. And so knowing this, means the more time we can remember to recognize the feeling, not try to fix it, not try to make it go away, not try to stuff it down, allow it. If and when we are ready to investigate a little bit, let's ponder, do it. Is this a good time for me just to ponder a little bit and see if there's something I can do to nurture myself or maybe nurture that emotion because maybe the emotion is trying to tell me something. Now, again, I want to keep us on track for time and it just keeps on clicking, but I do want to quickly share with you another person who wrote about this. Gosh, I want to say it was in the 20, 1920s or 30s. It was a, it, I remember when I read this article, the, some of the terminology that she was using is very dated now in terms of talking about mental health issues. They were terms that were current at the time to talk about people who are struggling with mental health that aren't current. But her six-word formula is face, accept, float. And then the second three is let time pass. So she doesn't, her, her model didn't say we need to investigate and do something with the feelings. She was saying face it, accept that it exists, and then just float. Just let the feeling float and be there. Don't try to fix it. Don't try to make it go away. Just notice it and then let time pass. Um, I can't, I'm gonna do a quick scan. I don't know if Tina is in the room or not, but Tina, um, oh, she is. Hi, Tina, she's here. Uh, Tina and I, a couple years ago, uh, had an exchange about um, a definition about this, this idea that feelings are, should be considered valid 
while also remembering that they're not always accurate. And when I've talked to mental health professionals, this is sometimes a tricky line because you don't wanna tell people that their feelings aren't valid. It is useful to remember that our feelings do sometimes fib to us. There are times when we feel hopeless and we take that as evidence that there is no hope. And just because we're feeling hopeless does not mean there aren't things that are a reason to be optimistic for. We can feel legitimately helpless, even in situations where help is, is sitting there waiting for us to take advantage of it. And so I, if somebody's feeling helpless and they're not taking advantage of something that's right there, you don't smack them and say, you're not helpless. Because they're feeling, they're feeling helpless. Therefore, they do not feel they can act. And if we can help them see that sometimes feelings fib, sometimes one of the biggest challenges I have with emotions, and this is really true for me, when I'm having a feel, I'm sure it's going to last forever. And when I feel down, when the phone doesn't ring for gigs, this has been true for 25 years of my business, October, November, I inevitably reach out to my best friend. We had just had lunch an hour ago. And I say something like, yeah, the phone's not ringing. Maybe the ride's up. It's been a good, it's been a good run. I've been <laughs> self-employed for five years. I've been self-employed for 15 years. And he, luckily, yay for best friends. He, he said something like, don't you say that every year around this time? And of course, in the last couple of years with the pandemic, I'm like, yeah, but this time it's different. And he's like, haven't you already said that a couple of times in the pandemic? <laughs> Don't let facts get in the way of my feel. Um, and the reality is our feelings happen. And they are, I try to always respect my feelings as valid and remember that um, they're not final and that they sometimes fit. Let's talk about doing really quickly because we do wanna make sure that we get to taking some action statements. And very quickly, I will tell you that the general idea with trying to get people to take action on their to-do list, on their goals, uh, in ways that would help them think better and feel better, we're generally focused on the getting started and the keeping going. And so I want to just very briefly address two things, the getting going, how you find motivation to activate. And there is, I, I, created, a, I created a new name. I haven't been able to find any evidence of this phrase being used. And I finally decided, I've been teaching this in time management for years. I used to draw, this is, a, this is the shortest tangent ever. Um, let's find purple. Let's find A M A. Oh, so I would write up on a on a back in the days of whiteboards and flip charts, and then I would have slides that had the letter A and then the letter M and then the letter A, and I would say action creates motivation, which creates more action. Um, the problem is most of us think of it like this: motivation creates action, which creates more motivation. Most of us operate like something needs to motivate us to fire, up, fire us up. Some pixie dust needs to come get sprinkled on us and then we'll be motivated. And the problem is, is waiting for the motivation. It's the law of inertia. A body at rest tends to stay at rest. The other half is equally true. A body in motion 
tends to stay in motion. And what I named this as I was preparing for this presentation is called the motivation activation paradox. Which comes first, motivation or activation? Which comes first, chicken or the egg? Which comes first, the experience or the job? Well, in order to need a good job, you need to have experience. In order to get experience, you need to have a good job. Which comes first, um, vulnerability or trust in a relationship? Well, in order to be vulnerable with someone, you have to trust them. In order to gain trust with someone, it's pretty important that you trust in vulnerability. And motivation and activation really require you to work hand in hand. And the best thing that you can do to, 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 to remember from this part about activation is the number one motivator by far is action. And so if you're waiting to get to, to do something till you're more motivated, the trick is just to be able to remember, oh yeah, I'm gonna be more motivated once I start. So then it's how do I get started? And the question is what's the smallest step that would feel like progress? I want every morning, I want to have walked, I want to have meditated, I want to have done my Tai Chi. But every morning I wake up and say, the really, you have all these things you have to do. You gotta walk, you gotta meditate, you gotta do Tai Chi. Actually, it's Qigong. I do the Qigong exercises that I learned in my Tai Chi class. And you know what it turns out? All I need to do is get downstairs from my bedroom. Because I know that when I walk downstairs, I don't have my jammies on, I'm underwear and a t-shirt, I'm cold. I have two choices when I get down to the bottom of the stairs. I can put on my sweats that are my lounge around the house, or I can put on my clothes that's going to help me go for a walk. Those clothes are a little warmer. And so I, I get dressed to go for a walk. Then I come in here and get my watch because you know what? Exercise doesn't count if you're not measuring it. So I go turn it on. And if it's a few minutes before the, an hour, if I hurry up and put my watch on, if you don't have an op Apple watch, this will sound strange, but I want to get credit for an hour of movement. And so if it's at like 10 to six or 10 to five, sometimes I do this at 445 in the morning. I'll be like, oh, if I get up now, I'll have a, I'll be like an hour more productive. And it gets me downstairs. And guess what? I don't feel like walking, walking for an hour at 430 in the morning. Ugh. But there's a mailbox two blocks from my house. And if somebody's ordered a book um, or I'm sending somebody a postcard or a card, I've put it out by the back door. And I think if I go walk that to the mailbox, number one, that's a little bit of exercise. And number two, I will have been productive. And ladies and gentlemen, no, we don't use that phrase anymore. People of the, people of the Zoomy Zoom, I love being productive. And so if all I have to do is put on the, the next layer and grab my keys and go mail this postcard, that's got me out the door. And I can tell you the number of times that I've walked two blocks to the mailbox and not walked three miles is only, I would say once a quarter. And you know what? It is so okay. If I get that far and want to turn around, absolutely A plus A okay. Because that means I don't got it in me that day. But almost always, it's got me started. What would help you get started a little bit more? And then the other half, of So that's getting started. And then the other half is how do I keep going? How do I keep doing this? How do I turn this into something that's more likely to happen than not? And I will tell you that all the stuff you read out there about habits is both true and hogwash. It is true that habits make a huge difference once you have established something as a habit 
you are so much more likely to adopt it as part of your daily routine. And this idea that if you do something for 30 days, it'll be a habit or 60 days or 21 days. There's all these different things that, that people say. And the reality is the longer you do something, the more likely it is to become a habit that's easier to keep going. And no matter how long you've been doing it, if you miss for too many days, it will extinguish. So it can be useful to say to somebody, why don't you try to get to this every day or for most days for the next few weeks because it'll help set up a great habit. And I think that's accurate. The studies are actually so all over the place. It depends on that. It, it, how long does it take a habit to develop a habit? It depends. What's the thing? How much do you like it to begin with? How often have you done it before? How long does it take? There's, a, there's so many variables that, that the, most of the time when you hear that, it's just not true. What is true is anything you can find a spot in the day and make it easier to do it and harder to not do it. That's the other thing is that for me, if I put my workout clothes on, the barrier to get me out of the door is far, far less. When I, if, I put on my, if I put on my sweats, my in-the-house sweats, there is another huge barrier to getting me out the door, and that's in I have to change clothes. And I will tell you that if I forget, if I'm spacey, or if I have a first thought that I'm not going to walk that day, it really is a lot harder to get out the door because uh, I have to do this and this. When I'm trying to focus and get ready for my Patreon peeps, and my phone is sitting right there where it is right now and I can see it, maybe I should play a game of Candy Crush just to relax a little bit. But when my phone is in the other room, I very rarely get up and go play a game of Candy Crush. I very rarely am, am tempted by anything on my phone when it's in the other room. I'm not telling you I'm never tempted. <laughs> it's just a lot harder to act on that temptation. Um, and, and that's really our feel better, do better, and, and excuse me, think better, feel better, and do better. And as we wind down our time together, uh, this is all an experiment. And I will tell you that before I learned, I think it was yesterday morning, to, to um, call this mental meteorology, I will tell you that intuitively, I have found it so helpful when I can, when I am spiraling downward, when I catch myself, it's the same instruction in meditation. For those of us who have taken meditation classes or try meditation, it is so hard when we first become aware that we've gotten distracted to not judge ourselves. Oh man, I did it again. I'm never gonna, I gotta focus. And a huge gift in motivation is when you don't judge and you say, oh, look at that, I'm off my game. So when I can, without judgment, say, oh, I think I'm kind of cycling down. I'm not as productive. I'm not feeling good. I'm not thinking very clearly. Pause. Which is the easiest entry point that might help me start cycling upwards? And I will tell you a walk around the block. And honestly, in the afternoon, sometimes I am just going to the mailbox. And it Yesterday, I ended up biking up to, it takes me about 12 minutes to bike. And it was an hour before um, my Zoomy Zoom. And, and I was starting to fade. I was feeling tired. And I, I was like, I know what'll get me going. Somebody ordered some books. If I bike it up to, and beat 
um, the five o'clock time zone, it'll go out, I'm productive. Everything that package does for all evening, I'm being productive and I know I'll feel better. And, and I didn't have to tweak my thinking or my feeling. I just tweaked my behavior. Other times I need to notice that I've got some distorted thinking going on. I'm doing all or nothing. I've, I've let a mental sieve take over. I've personalized something. How dare Saturday Night Live not be as funny as it used to be? Oh. Or I've got some feels. I've got some feels that are valid and possibly a little wee bit inaccurate. We have gone longer than our 30 minutes and I apologize. Let us bring this in for a soft landing. And let me say um, to the people who are listening, not live, thank you so much for checking this out. I will put links wherever. And if you can't find them, Google Ripple's guy and reach out and I will fix that. To the people who joined me live today, what I would love to do real quick here is um, turn off my spotlight. And I would love it if we went to a gallery mode. And if you could do me a favor and just wave goodbye to the screen for just a moment so we can wave goodbye to our friends who are watching the video. And then while we're doing